Today we are going to reside in Judges chapter 16. Judges chapter 16, if you would find your copy of God's Word. If you haven't been with us in the last couple of weeks, then you may be at a little disadvantage because uh, uh, the last few weeks I've been doing a series on the life of Samson, which is a subset of a larger series we're doing from the book of Judges. So we've been in Samson's life for the last uh, two Sundays. Today is the third sermon and entitled as part three to Samson, a man of Uh, potential, a man of passion, and a man of purpose. So we've already looked at the great potential and the passion in his life. Today we're going to focus on the purpose. Follow with me in Judges chapter 16, verse number 18. The Bible says, when Delilah saw that he told her all of his heart, she called for the lords of the Philistines and said, come up once for he has showed me all his heart. The lords of the Philistines came to her brought money in their hand and she made them sleep excuse me him sleep upon her knees and she called for a man and caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head and she began to afflict him and his strength went from him and she said to the Philistines she said the Philistines be upon thee Samson and he woke out of his sleep and said I will go out as at other times before and shake myself and he knew not the Lord was departed from him But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with shekels or fetters or chains of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. So may God add his blessings today as we look at this man, Samson, a man of potential, passion, and purpose. He is one of the most significant personalities in all of the Old Testament, a man of incredible, incredible potential. You remember his story. His mother could not have children, and God supernaturally intervened and allowed her to conceive. And when she conceived, she bears Samson. And as he is born, he is a a baby that will have God's favor upon his life right from the very first breath that he drew. So Samson had incredible potential having God's favor in his life, having grown up in a a a godly family with a godly mother and a godly father. And then also physically, he was stronger than any of the contemporaries of his day, the strongest man who ever lived. So he had incredible potential. But in spite of all of the potential in Samson's life, he walked away from God, did his own thing, and for years would fail to live up to what God had created him to be. He was also a man of incredible passion. As a young adult, somewhere around 19 or 20 years old, he went down to Timnath and was smitten by a woman of the Philistines. This was an unbeliever, and as a believer, he was forbidden to marry outside the faith, but he totally disregarded what God had to say, and he desired this woman of the Philistines, this unbelieving woman. In fact, the very first words that you read recorded that fell from Samson's lips were the words, I have been to Timnath and I have seen a woman. He was driven by what he saw. He was passionate about what he saw and the cravings of his carnal appetite were fueled. And he says to his mother and father, I have seen this woman, go get her for me. His parents try to give him godly counsel. And they say, Samson, is there not a woman among the Hebrews that would be a suitable bride for you? But Samson's resolve was unwavering. He was determined that this would be the person for him. And the theme throughout the entire book of Judges 
is every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And in Samson's eyes, this was the woman for him. I have seen a woman, go get her for me. Well, sure enough, at the wedding feast, Samson poses a riddle to the Philistines about a lion he had previously killed and the honey that he had drawn out of the carcass of the, uh, of the skeletal remains of the lion. And he said to the Philistines, I'm going to give you this riddle. And if you can figure it out, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes. And if you can't figure it out, you give me 30 changes of garments. Make a long story short, the feast lasts for an entire week and they could not figure out the answer to Samson's riddle. Well, Samson's new wife, this woman in Timnath, she begins to plead with him, Samson, tell me all your heart. Tell me the truth about the riddle. And sure enough, Samson, he gets worn down. He tells her the, uh, the answer to the riddle. And the first thing she does is go back to the Philistines and tell them what Samson had said. Samson was humiliated. He was embarrassed. He felt betrayed. And the only thing that surpassed those feelings was his, his deep sense of anger that he had toward the world at that time. In fact, the Scripture tells us in chapter 14, he was so angry that he goes down and he kills 30 people, takes their clothing to pay off his gambling debt. In fact, chapter 14 says that he burned with anger. That word anger comes from a Hebrew word that means to flare the nostrils. And you can just kind of get that vivid image in your mind of how angry Samson was because he'd been betrayed. He takes a jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand people. And his anger was out of control. His wife was given to another man, which again only fueled this anger and this resentment. Uncontrolled anger is always trouble. I read of uh, or heard of a story of a, a, a newspaper classified ad where it said something to this effect, talking about a bit of anger. For sale, a brand new wedding dress, never worn, will trade for a 38 pistol. <laughs> All right? Uncontrolled anger is not a good thing. Samson, in his life, his potential was extraordinary. His passion was off the chart. And what you're going to see today is that his purpose, the very reason God had created him, went unfulfilled until the last chapter of his life. Webster defines purpose as the reason for which something exists or was created. Do you know the reason you were created? Do you know your ultimate purpose? For most of his life, Samson struggled knowing that. And as a result, I want you to note that he, his, his purpose was missed. All right? First of all, I want you to note his purpose was missed. Look in verse number 1. Then went Samson to Gaza, saw a harlot, and went into her. Now, Gaza was not only a Philistine city... But Gaza was the capital of the Philistine cities. It was the place where their temple of Dagon would remain and stand. And there would be Samson, verse 2. It was told the Gazites, saying, Samson is come here. And they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night in the gate of the city and were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is day, we shall kill him. Now, you ask yourself when you read this story, what in the world is Samson doing down in Gaza in the first place? The capital city of the Philistines? The place where they worship more than any other place this pagan god? 
What in the world is Samson doing going into the home of a woman of ill repute? Here was a man who was created for so much more than what he was living out. Here was a man who had totally missed his purpose. God had great things in store for Samson, but he allowed this carnal cravings to lead him away from God and to thwart what God was really wanting to do in his life. So you ask yourself, what is he doing down there? Why is he going to visit that woman? You see, Samson's greatest enemy was not on the outside, it was on the inside. His greatest enemy was not the Philistines. It was not the other individuals that opposed him. But the greatest enemy that he faced was his uncontrolled passions. He wanted to do his own thing his own way, regardless of what God had to say about that. Do you know the devil knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows the areas of our greatest temptation. And if we do not, listen carefully, avoid, and I mean avoid those places that appeal to our fallen nature, then Satan can get, the, can, can get a foothold in the life of the best intended person that you know and can cause that person to lose their integrity. Listen to what Solomon, the wisest man, said in Proverbs 6.27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and not be burned? Now that's rhetorical. It means, of course not, that you can't play with fire. You can't, you can't get off the path of where God is leading and go down a different direction and not expect to get burned. If you're playing with fire, then the devil knows that. And he's brought those temptations where you are the weakest and he's trying to get you to miss the purpose for which you were created. That's what he was doing in Samson's life. So Samson goes down to Gaza. They're all waiting for him now. They're ready to kill him. And as soon as he comes out of the harlot's house the next morning, they're going to attack him and they're going to kill him. But what they don't count on is that Samson leaves around midnight. In fact, verse number three says, that they all lay till, Samson lay till midnight, and then he arose at midnight. Look what he does. He took the doors of the gate of the city, two posts, and went away with them, bar and all. Put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of the hill that's before Hebron. Bible scholars tell us that these were sodden, solid wooden doors that uh, were the main entrance to the gate that sur- of the wall that surrounded the city, weighing somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 pounds. And Samson, the same one who tore the lion in half with his bare hands, now rips these doors off the city gates of, of Gaza, puts them on his shoulders, and he walks to Hebron, faces them to Judah as if to say, God, Jehovah, is stronger than the God Dagon. And it was a way to humiliate the Philistines. Well, The Philistines are now waiting for Samson, and they look for an opportunity to kill him. So, notice what happens in verse 4. It came to pass afterward. We don't know how much time passed from the time he tore the gates down until this next scene. But we do know this. When he first met the woman in Timnath in chapter 14, he was around 19 or 20 years old. And we do know now It's roughly 20 years later. He is now about 40 years old, all right? And this time, it's not a woman from Timnath. It's not a lady of the night in Gaza, 
but it is a woman from the valley of Sorek by the name of, verse number four says, Delilah. Do you know of all the women in Samson's life, this is the only one that is given, uh, that the scripture gives us her name. The others, we don't even know their names, but not Delilah. She is the one woman in Samson's life that he really loved. Should he have gone down to the valley of Sorek, which again was Palestinian territory, which again was where the Philistine capital would be, just on the outskirts of that? Should he have gone down there in what we know today as the Gaza Strip and chosen a woman of the Philistines to share his life with? Of course not. But Samson thinks that God's instructions are good for everybody else, just not for himself. So it's as though he has blinders on. Notice, notice verse number 5 says, The lords of the Philistine came to her, to Delilah. And they said to her, entice him. Remember, we spent a lot of time on that word last week. Some translations use the word coax. They said, coax him, talk to him. Get him to tell you where his great strength lies, that we might prevail against him and bind him and afflict him. And we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. About 28 pounds of silver is what we'll give you, verse 6. Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray, where your great strength lies and where you might be bound to afflict you. Now, don't forget, 20 years earlier, in chapter 14, he was with the woman in Timnath. She was pressing him about telling her the answer to the riddle that he had posed to the Philistines. Remember that? And every day she came to him and she said, Samson, tell me the meaning of the riddle. Tell me the meaning of the riddle. And by seven days of that wedding feast, he was so worn down, he tells her the, the answer to the riddle, and she betrays him and goes tells the, the Philistines. And now here he is 20 years later, and you would have thought that he knew better. This time it's Delilah. This time, the antagonist is not the woman from, from uh, Gaza, not the woman from Timnath. The spoils were not going to be a change of clothes. But now it is, Samson, tell me where your great strength lies, that I might be able uh, to know that you love me with all of your heart, is really what she would say to him. So notice how this narrative unfolds. Samson said to her, verse 7, if you bind me with seven green wrists, some translations say bowstrings. So we'll use that term, bowstrings that were never dried. Then I will be weak just like another man. So sure enough, she binds him with these bowstrings. And she says to him, Samson, the Philistines are here to attack. And the scripture tells us that he gets up and he breaks those bowstrings like they were threads. And then she comes back to him the next time. And in verse number 11, after she hounds him about this, he says, Okay, Delilah, if you will bind me with ropes, then I'll be just like any other man. So as she puts him to sleep, she ties him down with ropes. And then she says to him, Samson, the Philistines are here to attack. And once again, just like he had done previously, he gets up and in great supernatural strength breaks those ropes like they were threads. Only for that to happen a third time. In verse number 13, she presses him again and again and again. This time he says to her, if you will take my hair and if you will braid the seven locks of my hair and weave it into the fabric of the womb, of the, uh, uh, weave it into the fabric of the loom that you're working with, he says, then I will be just like any other man. And sure enough, he falls asleep and she weaves his hair into the fabric of this loom. 
And she says to him, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he gets up, still with his mighty strength, as strong as he was every other time. Notice verse number 16 at what happens. It came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. She urged him, look how the King James says this, so that his soul was vexed unto death. One translation says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Every day, Samson, tell me the great, where your great strength lies. Why did you tell me a fib before? Why these three times have you, have you mocked me? And Samson is getting closer and closer to telling her the truth about where his great strength lies. He says, if you'll take my hair, weave it into the loom, then I'll be like anybody else. So he's getting closer and closer and closer because his heart is so intrigued by this woman. And uh, Delilah is just prodding him and pressing him. And you know, in reality, Delilah is just like sin. Sin is attractive. That's what drew Samson to Delilah. He saw her and he was drawn to her. That's like sin. The devil always packages it beautifully and in an alluring fashion. But secondly, sin like Delilah was persistent. She pressed him every day, every day, every day with her words. Do you know when Satan brings temptation into our lives, he packages it very beautifully, doesn't he? He packages it very attractively, and he paints a picture that is very harmless. The Bible says that Satan is transformed into an angel of light. And every temptation that he has for me and for you, now listen carefully, if you're listening, say amen. I don't want you to miss this. Every temptation that he has for any of us, he only shows you the good side of that. Of every sin that he lays in my path and your path, he only shows you what looks good on the upper side of it. And he never shows you the ugliness of the consequence that sin has in a person's life. Do you know if Satan showed us all of the heartbreak and the heartache and the ugliness of the consequence of our sin, he'd never get any of us to fall. Isn't that right? But what he does, he packages it in a beautiful wrapping for us. He knows our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses. He knows what gets our attention. And he wraps up that temptation in a fashion that he is persistently bringing it to us day after day after day after day because he is wanting to do to us like he did to Samson. And that is get us to miss the very purpose for which you were created. Do you know ultimately that's why the devil brings temptation into our lives? Listen carefully, especially young folk. Please listen to this. The devil has a target on your back. And what he wants more than anything else, if you don't hear anything else I say in this sermon, I want you to hear this, that Satan wants you to miss the purpose for which you were created. He wants you to miss all that God has for you. He wants you to settle for less. Why was Samson down at the harlot's home in Gaza? Because he was settling for less than what God had created him for. Why did Samson marry Delilah, this woman from the Philistines? Because he was settling for so much less than what God had created him for. And what Samson was doing was missing the purpose of his life. Do you know the Bible says, Love not the world, neither anything that is in the world, 
Because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world is the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And when Satan wants to get us to fall, he wraps up a temptation in one of those three areas. Just as he did with Jesus. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, where did Satan tempt him first? In the place that hurt most, turn these stones into bread. You remember that? Turn these stones into bread. Jesus comes back to him with Scripture and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan leaves, but he persistently comes back. Jump off the, the, the temple. God will take charge of you, and he'll protect you. And Jesus, again with Scripture, says, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan leaves, but again persistently returns. And he says to him, uh, look at all the kingdoms of the world, and if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all of these. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord God, him only shall you serve. Doesn't it stand to reason that if the devil persistently brought temptation into the life of Christ, that he's going to be persistent in bringing attractive temptations into my life and yours? That's the way he works. He is good at his job, and he wants you to miss the purpose for which you were created. Listen, God loves you, and Satan despises anything that God loves. God loves you, and he has a great plan for your life, but I want you to know that Satan is not your friend. The devil is not your friend, he's not your companion, and he hates you, and he wants to destroy your life, destroy your children, rip apart your family, and he wants to cause you to miss the very purpose that God created you. Samson missed his purpose. So that was his purpose missed. Secondly, I want you to look at his purpose mocked. Go to verse number 17, look at this story. So she continues to persist about wanting to know the secret of his strength. Verse 17, he told her all of his heart and said to her, There has not come a razor on my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Remember the three elements of the Nazarite vow? He was not to drink wine, he was not to go to near a dead body, and he was not to have the hair of his head cut um, to, for a season to separate himself for God. He said, if I be shaven, then will my strength go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Verse 18, and when Delilah saw that he told her all of his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, Deja vu all over again, right? Just like the woman in Timnath 20 years earlier. Come up at once. He showed me all of his heart. The lords of the Philistines came up to her, and they brought the money in her hand. She says to his enemies, he's told me all of his heart. He didn't just tell her about his hair. He explained to her how he had consecrated himself for God and how God had put his favor upon his life from the time he was born, and he just pours out his heart to her. And now she, like the woman in Timnath, betrays Samson. Verse 19. She made him sleep upon her knees, called for a man, look at this, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. Here is the world's strongest man with beautiful flowing locks of long hair, lays his head down on the lap of Delilah as the world's strongest man and a superhero. But he wakes up 
as a bald-headed weakness, weakland, who has lost the favor of God in his life and the presence of God in his life. And it leads us to the, what I believe is one of the saddest verses in the entirety of the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. Look in verse number 20. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke out of his sleep and he said, look at this. I will go out as other times as before and shake myself. Now look. And he knew not the Lord had departed from him. He knew not the Lord had departed from him. How could you not know that? But he doesn't even know that the Lord had departed from him. Do you know that Delilah was able to do to Samson what the entirety of the Philistine army was not able to do? She was able to make him a, weak, a weakling. And Samson just assumed when she woke him up after shaving his hair that he would get up and he would do just like he had done every time before and still have his great strength. But on this particular day, he got up, his strength was gone, the Lord had left him, and he didn't even know it. I remember when my boys were growing up, we all used to play sports together and uh, had a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And I remember that we'd be playing ball, basketball or something like that, and I could, I could, I could post up on them and I could knock them around and uh, I could rebound against them and I could block their shot. It made me feel pretty good about myself for a while. But over time, what was happening is they were getting bigger and stronger and faster. And I was getting bigger, just in a different way, bigger and slower and weaker. And in my mind, I'm still thinking, I can dribble around them. I can post up on them. I can still block their shot. And I had no idea that my great strength had departed from me. It is said that sometimes that world-class athletes, sometimes they stay in the game too long because they still believe they can do what they used to do in their youth and they are forced out because their skills are no longer as, as, as capable or as honed as they were when they were younger. Here is Samson, the world's strongest man, and he gets up from her lap and he doesn't even know that the presence of God has left him. Now, I said this in the 830 service, and I hope I said it the way that I wanted to say it. Uh, because sometimes as a pastor, you struggle saying what you want to say or what you feel like God le is leading you to say and, and finding the right words. But here's what I said, something like this in the 830, and I want, I want to make it clear again here. Over the course of my ministry, there have been times that I have watched people disobey God in a certain fashion. And I have watched them walk away from God. And in their lives, they have no idea that the hand of God is no longer on their lives. And sometimes there will be people that will go to their grave thinking that everything is okay, when in reality, God has stepped back from them. doesn't mean they lost their salvation as a Christian. It just means that they're no longer having God's presence and God's power in their life. And that what the devil is doing is mocking the very purpose for which they were created. Can't you see Samson 
As he gets up from Delilah, and now she's mocking him. The Philistines come, and they're mocking him for the very purpose that he was created. He missed it. And now he's being mocked. Do you know, you look in verse number 21. I want to give you four quick things as we bring this to a close in just a moment that happened to Samson. Look in verse 21. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes. That's mutilation. They gouged out his eyes. Isn't it interesting? The first words you hear him speak... I saw a woman in Timnath, and now here he is. He's blinded. The second thing is they took him down to Gaza. First, there is mutilation. Then, secondly, there is deportation. They took him to Gaza. When was the last time he was in Gaza? Verse number one of this same chapter, when he had gone to the home of the harlot. Number three. There was incarceration. He was bound with shackles. Number four, there is humiliation. They set him to grinding grain in a prison like an animal. With a large millstone that donkeys would be tied to that would move this millstone round and round to grind their grain. Now that would be Samson's job. It has been said that sin will find you. And sin will bind you. And sin will blind you. And sin will grind you. And this is where Samson is now living in the dungeon of Dagon's temple. Grinding meal like an animal. Totally living in mockery of the reason that he was created. And all of the enemies of God were looking at him and mocking him as he's there on his hands and feet. Moving around that millstone. With gouged out eyes knowing that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I imagine in the darkness of the dungeon, he was thinking, I was created for so much more than this. I started out with such great potential. I had so many advantages in my favor. And now look at the mockery I've made of my life. Samson was created for so much more than working in the devil's dungeon, and so were you and I. Do you know the Bible says that we were created for God's good pleasure? The purpose for God's making you, the purpose for him allowing you to be alive today is for his pleasure. But God drew no pleasure out of Samson down in the dungeon. Samson had done that to himself. He missed his purpose, and now he was mocking his purpose. If I had to close right here and not give you the rest of the story, or if there wasn't a remainder of the story, I think that this would be the last sermon I would ever preach because we would have no hope. But I showed you what I believe to be one of the saddest verses in the Bible, and Samson didn't even know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. Now I want to show you what I believe to be one of the greatest verses in the Bible about God's amazing grace. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace of God. Amazing grace that John Newton called it. I want to show you. Do you know, by the way, the first time you see grace mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 1. 
when the heart of mankind had grown so wicked, even their imaginations were corrupt. And the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's the first time you see grace. And God's amazing grace has been a theme all throughout Scripture where God in His grace would go down into those dungeons and bring us out and restore us that we might find our ultimate purpose for being created. So I want to show you the great verse that gives us hope. Look in verse 22. How be it? The hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaven. And you say, Pastor, what's that got to do with grace? Well, when you're losing your hair like me, you're thankful for everyone that grows. All right? Here is Samson in the bottom of the dungeon, head shaven clean, eyes gouged out, tied to a millstone, grinding grain day after day after day in the dungeon. And there was a day... And he reaches up, and he can feel a little bit of stubble beginning to grow. Days later, it's a little longer, and a little longer, and a little longer. And that was the only hope that he had down in the darkness of that dungeon. That God had not forgotten him. That God had not given up on him. That God still had an incredible purpose for Samson's life. A purpose that Samson had missed. A life that had now been made a mockery. But God said, I'm not going to leave you like that. I want to show you the life that I've made for you. So, look in verse number 23 at what takes place. The lords of the Philistines gathered them together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice and said, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God and they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer of our country, which slew many. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry, they said, Call for Samson that he might make us sport. Some translations say that he might perform for us or that he might entertain us. They called Samson out of the prison they, and he made them sport and they, he, they set him between the pillars. In other words, they bring Samson out of the dungeon during a large gathering here at the temple of Dagon. And they make him perform like a clown in the circus. That's what the devil wants for all of us if you miss God's purpose in your life. And Samson was performing for them because he, his purpose was missed and his purpose was mocked. But notice as we close, his purpose was memorialized. Verse 26 says, Samson said to the lad that held him by the hand, Allow me that I might feel the pillars whereupon the house stands, that I might lean upon them. In other words, it takes this guy who's leading him by the hand and says, Get me to the support columns of the pillars. Verse 29. Or verse 27. The house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. And there was upon the roof about 3,000 men and women that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord. Now stop right there for just a moment. From the time he was born until the time Delilah cut his hair, God's hand of blessing and mercy had been upon him. But when he broke that final element of the Nazarite vow, God's hand had been removed from him. And Samson was performing again like a clown in the circle, in the circus, performing for God. A tragedy, and a sad tragedy, but listen carefully now. Anytime you find yourself in a difficulty, 
even if it is of your own making. For heaven's sake, turn to God and talk to God and ask God to help you and ask God in his grace to fix the mess that we've made in life. I can't tell you how many times I've had to do that over the course of my life is come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I've made a terrible mess out of this and I need your help and I need your grace. And sometimes what happens is when we mess up, we feel like we're too unworthy to come to God and ask for his forgiveness. But I want you to know God is waiting Listen, he's waiting and he's desiring for us to come back to him with all the messes of life and give that to him so he can be that balm of Gilead and straighten all of that mess out in our life. Here was Samson at the bottom of this dungeon, made a mockery of the purpose for which he was created, and he begins to pray. Look at this prayer, verse 28. Oh, Lord God, remember me. Strengthen me. Only one more time. God, I blew it. I knew I blew it. But Lord, just one more time if you'll make it like it used to be. Just one more time if you'll give me strength. Just one more time. Notice. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with his might. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And the purpose of Samson was realized, was to liberate the Hebrews from the Philistines. But he has to achieve that purpose, or God has to achieve that purpose by taking Samson a long way around because of his own disobedience. Verse number 31 says, his brethren and all the house of his father came down. They take his, his lifeless body out from under the rubble of the fallen temple. Can you imagine what a sad sight that was? They take his fallen body out of that rubble. And you would think, that's the end of Samson. You know, this is not the only time or the final time that he's mentioned. Final time you'll see his name is in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11 is the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. It is the Canton, Ohio of the National Football League where those who are at the top of their profession are forever enshrined and memorialized. It is Cooperstown, New York, where the best of the best who've ever played baseball have been memorialized for, for forever, or as long as the world stands, that they were at the top of their profession. Hebrews chapter 11 is that hall of fame of the faithful. And in chapter 11, listen, you find men like Enoch, who's a good man, men like Abraham, men like Moses, men like Joseph. Joseph, one of the few men in the Bible, you never find anything wrong said about him. You find all of those guys, and then right next to them in that same list, you find this man, Samson. Why in the world would God include him as an example of faithfulness? It is because Samson did not die as an unrepentant, bitter, angry man at God. He called on God and said, just one more time, Lord. And the Spirit of God came back on Samson. Because as his hair grew, his heart would be warmed toward God. Now there were consequences, his hair grew, but his eyes never came back. But God was able to even work beyond those consequences. And to do a work through Samson in his death that he could not do in his life. And forever he would be memorialized in Hebrews 11 as a great example of faith. So, here's the story. 
Samson is not the hero, all right? Samson is not the hero. God is the hero. That is a good place for an amen. God is the hero. He takes a life that has been wrecked and shipwrecked and turns that around in such a way that Samson finally is able to fulfill the purpose for which he was made, to bring glory to God. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for being our hero. Thank you, Lord, that even in the times that we've made incredible messes, you have been faithful uh, to get us back on track, and you've been faithful to bring us out of the dungeon, and God, you've been faithful to redeem us. And Lord, for that, we are forever grateful. As we have this hymn of invitation and we invite people to make decisions for you, Lord, there may be folk here today like Samson. They've totally missed the purpose that you have created them. But Lord, they don't want to stay there. God, they want to as well be memorialized in your book of life to know, God, that they have a new opportunity. With you, Lord, failure is never final. With you, God, you only save sinners. You only save sinners. And every one of us who are saved today, we're saved because we needed your grace. So Lord, everybody here, we're on the same page. We've all failed you. But Lord, thank you that you've redeemed us and that you call us and you say, you don't have to live in the dungeon. You don't have to live grinding grain. You don't have to live in the darkness. But Lord, you say to us, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Lord, would you take this invitation and use it to call people to yourself? Maybe one here today that has never been saved, and they want to come today and be saved. I pray they would come. Or others who want to unite with our church family, take the invitation and use it as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.